0: And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold. Then the angel departed from her. The gospel of the Lord. Has anybody here ever been in trouble before? That's a pretty universal experience. In fact, when I was a child, there would be those moments where my mom would call my name and then my brother's name and then the dog's name. And I would look at my brother and he would look at me. We would look at the dog and the dog would look at us and we'd scatter in three different directions because we didn't know who she really wanted but we knew one of us was dead. And we scattered in our different directions and we would hide hoping that she found somebody else. And there's a, in this, natural impulse that we learn in childhood, there is something of the essence of the mystery that we celebrate today because being in trouble, being guilty, being conscious of having done something wrong provokes an impulse within us to hide ourselves. We don't want to face the person we've hurt. We don't want to admit, we keep those secrets of what we've done and what we've thought to ourselves, and we don't want anyone ever to see them. Sin produces a certain desire to hide. And note what we see in our first reading today. We see the hiding of man from God. Adam and Eve, fallen and guilty in the garden, first cover themselves to protect themselves from one another, the first act of concealment. And then they hear God drawing near, God who is their friend, God who could forgive them, God whom they have wronged. And what do they do? They hide. And the whole point of hiding, my friends, is not to be found. As simple and obvious as it is to say that, it's important that we recognize it and important that we linger on this. The whole point of hiding is not to be found. No one hides in the light. We hide in darkness. We hide in the shade, we hide in the shadows. And so it is that God draws near and man dives into the bushes. Adam and Eve hiding behind the trees, hiding within the bushes, longing to be out of sight. So that God will simply pass them by. Because it's easier to the heart of man in its guilt to avoid the nearness of a friend than to face the truth of our relationships. So God draws near and man hides. And everything that we hear in our scripture readings with today's Mass is in the context of man's hiddenness. This entire dialogue between God and Adam and Eve and the snake, where is man? Where are Adam and Eve? Still in the bushes, we never hear that they come out. And so everything that we hear is God speaking his word into the hiddenness of man, into the hiddenness of the human heart. Here is the Lord, Speaking to the guilty. Here is the Lord speaking to the one who doesn't want to be found. Here is the Lord speaking to the one who doesn't come out, even though God is right there and knows exactly where He is. Note how how different everything sounds when we recognize this. This is not Adam and Eve standing before God, this is Adam and Eve hidden in the bushes trying their best not to be seen by God, and God insisting, but you're going to hear me anyway. And so the Lord speaks. He speaks to the hiddenness of man. And in speaking to the hiddenness of man, he speaks of the consequences of what it is to hide and to remain hidden and refuse to step out of darkness into the light. In a sense, the Lord now is speaking of that great shadow with which man is clothing himself, in which man is wrapping himself. The shadow of wrong, the shadow of guilt, the shadow of, I know I should say I'm sorry, but I'm not going to. The shadow of a disordered pride that says, even as I admit the wrong I've done I won't accept responsibility for it. And the Lord then articulates, this is what it will be to live with that shadow. And to pass that shadow on to your children through all generations, this tendency you will always have to hide, to dive behind the couch when you hear mom speaking with that mom voice, to avoid that one with whom you have a vague sense, I've done something wrong. To hide even parts of yourself from yourself. To look into the mirror and see your face, but also conveniently bracket those areas of your own heart that you don't want to look at. Know where it all comes from. This tendency, this desire to hide. Unlike being wrapped in a mantle of salvation that we heard in our antiphon at the beginning, we see here the heart of man wrapping itself in a mantle of shadow, a garment, a robe of hiddenness. And it's into this then that the Lord continues speaking. And he speaks to Adam and Eve. He speaks as well to the snake the author of the hiddenness of the human heart. And he says to the snake, you who slide in without being recognized, and to Adam and Eve, you who are hiding in the trees, one of us is going to be open about things, and it's going to be me. So let me tell you the truth of what waits for you. And it's not simply the truth of the hardship that Adam and Eve will have to endure. It is not simply the truth of the snake losing its legs and crawling around on its belly on the ground. It is something else. The Lord says, and he says it to the snake, not directly to Adam and Eve, but he says it so that they can hear it. He speaks openly. So the Lord says, let me tell you how it will be. And he looks at the snake and he says, you will have an enemy because I am going to raise up an enemy against you who are the enemy of man, against you who are the enemy of goodness, against you who are the enemy of truth. Oh, you will have an enemy she will be a woman. And as the Lord says these words, he's not speaking about Eve. Eve's already lost. Eve's heart is already compromised. Whether she wants it or not, she has a certain friendship with the serpent already within her. She's not the enemy. No, there's, there's a woman, though a woman who will come into the world through this sin-fallen woman, but a woman. And she will be opposed to everything that the snake is. Where the snake is venomous, she will be peaceful. Where the snake is proud, she will be humble. Where the snake spins his lies, She will be truthful. Where the snake is vicious, she will be virtuous. She will be an enemy to the snake, opposed to the snake in everything that the snake is, opposed to the snake in everything that the snake knows. One who is fundamentally opposed to the snake, the only hatred that God has put in the world, is this one, the hatred, the animosity between the woman and the snake. And it's a hatred that is touched with the one hatred that God has, the hatred for all that is sinful and destructive and unholy. God who loves the sinner in all truth hates the sin. And so it is that there is one who will come touched with his holiness opposed to evil as he is opposed to evil. One who will live in light, even as the serpent invites us to darkness. A woman. And from the woman, there will be children, including a son. And the result of that conflict, the result of that animosity, the result of that opposition, is the crushing of the head of the serpent under the heel of the woman and her son. And note how the Lord speaks, because what is the proud part of the body? Oh, it's the head. It's on top. It holds itself high. It says, notice me, look at me. It is what looks down on others. The head is the proud part of man. The crown is the top of the head. Note what the Lord says. The crown the pride, the high part of you, that will be shattered. And how? By the heel, the lowest part of the body, the lowest part of the woman, the part that doesn't exalt itself to the heavens, but knows its place on earth. And the humility of the woman, the humility of her son, The humility of her children will break the power of your pride and what you have done will be overturned. The Lord says this openly. He speaks it to the serpent whose lies were hidden in the sweetness of his words. He speaks it in the hearing of Adam and Eve who have hidden themselves in the bushes not to come out. And in speaking this way, the Lord is speaking of one who will not be hidden, but one who will be opened. And as we say that, then, turn your eyes now to the front of the church, to the extended nativity scene that we have here. Because it relates exactly to what we have heard. And note, we have our trees, and we have our bushes quite literally spread across the front of the church. Do we not? But note where the human figures are, not behind them, but in front of them. Visible, not hidden. And as we look at the nativity scene, what do we see? We see humanity in the shepherds, in the kings, in Mary and Joseph. But we see humanity open before our eyes. Note the marvelous symbolism here. The openness of man, the openness of humanity at this point. No one is hidden. All is open. And the trees themselves are adorned with lights, and the figures are adorned with lights to remind us that the true place of man is not in the shadows, not in the darkness. Because man was not made for darkness. Note what else we see. Everything is put in order. The trees are not randomly placed, nor are the figures. There is a real art to putting a nativity set together and part of that is knowing the order of things. And to place them in good order and note what that also says that there is an ordering about human life that is fundamental but is also fundamentally broken inside of us. Our lives are disordered. Our social order is disordered. Our relationships with one another are out of order. And so much of our experience of this world and what it is to be human is an experience of the disorder of man. And so note, A nativity set involves visually putting man in order, putting human life in its proper order. Note how this corresponds to the chaos that we see in our first reading and how it relates to what we heard in our collect, our opening prayer speaking about through the immaculate conception of the woman, of our lady, God has prepared a worthy dwelling for himself. Now let's unpack that for a minute. We said that the woman is opposed to the serpent. In other words, she is a woman who will be free from the poison of the serpent, which is sin a sinless woman, not a friend of the serpent, but opposed to him in everything, sinless and resistant to sinning. But what that also means is without the disorder of sin and guilt in her heart, it is a woman whose life is well-ordered. And this woman, sinless and opposed to the serpent, is a woman who has no impulse to hide. No desire to avoid the Lord when he comes. No desire to close off and compartmentalize aspects of her life. There is nothing in her that stands in shadow. There is only that in her which draws near to the light. There is nothing in her that is closed to grace. Only that in her which is open. There is not that in her which avoids the Lord, but only that which turns to the Lord. And it is to to that heart, that well-ordered heart, that luminous heart, that sinless heart, that the word of God through the angel arrives, announcing that for nine months, She, quite literally, will be the home of God on earth. A worthy dwelling. A dwelling made on the one hand of earth, and yet prepared by and ordered by God. A dwelling place that we celebrate in this midpoint of Advent because this mystery is ordered to the event that the nativity set announces as well. Because the order of the nativity set is the order of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And note, the figures are put in order by Jesus. Everything is arranged according to Jesus. And we see here that it is the Lord's desire to save us that restores the proper order to the heart of man, that restores good order to man, and that he comes and he will be placed visibly in this manger, in the center of our church, and his human face will shed its light on us without hiding, without concealing himself. And the Lord who spoke openly in the garden about what would happen will then show his face openly to us in this mystery. Note how absolutely, exquisitely marvelous this is. And we celebrate that this ordering of life, this ordering of the world, this coming of salvation comes to us first and foremost through a woman whose life is touched and placed in order before she is even born. From the first instance of her life, she is ordered to this moment. She is ordered to Him, showing forth His face and His goodness to you. She is ordered to receiving Him. She, unlike her parents, Adam and Eve, who sought only what they desired, is that one who names herself the servant, the handmaid, even the slave of the Lord. And so that Adam and Eve who turned from the word of the Lord and said, I will do as I will, with the pride of Satan in their hearts, Our Lady answers opposite. I will do as you will, with the humility of goodness in my heart. Note how marvelous that is. And note how when we recognize its fullness, we see that nothing connects Our Lady to us more than this mystery. Because if she is so fundamentally and thoroughly ordered by and given to the coming of Jesus into the world, that means she is fundamentally ordered by and given to your need for salvation. There's nothing in Mary that is not at the service of your salvation. Because there is nothing in her that is not at the service of Christ coming to save you. And here we are. And we see then, she who has the privileged position not just to bear him but to be near him and hold him and present him to the world. Note what the Lord is saying in all of this. I will not hide. And that place where you can most clearly, most Easily see me and draw near to the light of my face has a name, and her name is Mary. How wonderful. On this feast day of her conception, we also see the Lord draws near to us in this way so that we know there is no need to hide and that we can come, we can draw near, We can open our hearts, dark as they may be, that his light might fill them and in filling them, heal them. And little by little, we can allow his life to put our lives in order. Because the simple fact of the matter is, as much as we talk about preparing a place for Jesus, let's learn from this mystery and let Jesus prepare the place for himself. And that involves as well, opening my heart and say, Jesus, you feel free to rearrange the furniture there. Make yourself comfortable, make yourself at home. Note how wonderful that is. And in just a few minutes, we get dress rehearsal for that. Because we come forward and we stretch out our hands. And who do we receive? We receive him who is the son of that woman, son of God, Son of Mary, Jesus Christ, great and powerful in your hand. And while his face and his glory might be hidden to your eyes, note that he is not hidden at all. He comes where you can touch him, where you can receive him, and to dwell in your heart where you can know him. How wonderful indeed that mystery. Let us pray then that our hearts be truly worthy dwellings, in the spirit and the manner of Our Lady. For so great a visitor, so great a guest, so great a king, amen.